I want to start off by saying the music this morning is wonderful. Uh, for the, the singing and the, and the music, it is just a blessing. Y'all, we're a blessed people, aren't we? I have been in churches that have had not had this kind of resource and this kind of talent, and I will tell you that it makes a huge difference. It really does. I want to start off this morning with a little story. Uh, a preacher had struggled through what was a less than stellar sermon. Uh, I say the preacher had struggled. The preacher and the congregation had struggled through such a sermon. And, uh, and the sermon had come to a close and, and people began to file out. And the usual niceties that happened at the back door, oh, preacher, that was a good message today. Uh, it just was not happening because nobody was going to lie in church, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and there was this one lady that, that just felt just really convicted. She said, this ought not to be safe. Uh, so somebody should, should try to encourage the pastor. And, and so she was one of the last ones out, and she looked at the pastor, and she said, Pastor, I just want to let you know this morning that your sermon reminded me of the grace, I mean, of, of the peace and the love of God. And he said, Really? My sermon reminded you of the peace and the love of God. And, and she said, yes. He said, I think that's the nicest thing anybody's ever told me about a sermon. He said, can you elaborate on that? And she dropped her head. <laughs> and she said, it reminds me of the peace of God because it passes all understanding. And it reminds me of the love of God because it endured forever. Uh, <laughs> I pray that that's not foreshadowing this morning. We're talking about peace this morning. Isn't it a cliche? You've all watched the, the, the show uh, where the beautiful young lady comes to the microphone and the master of ceremonies asks her, what are your hopes and dreams? And she goes on and on and on. And at the end, she says, world peace. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, politicians involve themselves in peace talks. Soldiers have lived and died for what we call peace. And I bet if I ask anybody anywhere if they'd like to live in peace, I think it would be 100% that everybody would say yes. I mean, I guess unless you're an arms dealer, that wouldn't go over for them. But everybody else, I believe it'd be a unanimous vote that we'd all love to live in peace. Nixon was famous for his peace signs. Do you remember? Okay, there's some of you old enough to know who I'm talking about. For those of you that are younger, ask somebody that's got gray hair. All right. Also, the round peace sign, you know, we've seen that sticker on, on anything from bumper stickers to school lockers to, to everywhere you can imagine. And it's been tattooed in places that we can't talk about in church. And uh, so, so it seems like th that peace is something that the, the world embraces and something that, that the world says is a good thing. It would seem that since the whole world wants it, from the intellectual to the simple, from the rich to the poor... And great-minded people with, with all the resources at their fingertips have tried for eons to find this thing called peace, and they haven't really produced a good product to produce it. I guess this morning it's up to me. That's a joke, by the way. <laughs> but we sought peace in democracy. Some have, have sought peace in dictatorship. Some have sought it in passiveness, and some have sought it in aggression. This group demands their rights, and this other group demands their rights, and their perceptions collide. 
We've looked for peace in our bank accounts, in our 401ks, in a good job with a pension. We've looked at it in status. We've looked for it in, in the approval of our neighbors. We've looked for it in, in entertainment. We have looked for peace in every way that you can absolutely imagine looking for peace. And yet, as a race of human beings, it still eludes us. But here Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. But we fight over how to have peace. Every human on earth desires peace, and yet we still have a world full of violence and strife. And we have to ask why. Why? If it is something that we have wanted for all of eternity, if it's something that, that all of mankind and the brightest minds, the smartest people with the most resources have, have pursued, then why don't we have it? Aristotle was a great philosopher, and he was really close to discovering uh, the secrets of eternal life, but, but I don't think he ever really made it. But, but one of the things that he postulated was that the whole is equal to the sum of its parts. Do you remember that in school? You remember that in geometry? The whole is equal to the sum of its parts. In other words, one plus one equals two. One plus one can never equal three or five because the whole is equal to the sum of its parts. The, the parts have to add up to be what the whole is. But it seems like uh, that somehow by human reasoning, we want to change the fact that the sum, of the sum whole is equal to the sum of its parts. We want to somehow have the whole equal something more. I've seen it in churches, not this church, of course, but in other churches that I've served. I've seen people, they want a vibrant, spiritually alive, I, I mean, you know, well-resourced church. They want the whole to be perfect and great. But what about the individuals? I, I, there's an old saying, the chain is, is only as strong as its weakest link. In other words, the, the whole is equal to the sum of its parts. So what about this thing about world peace? Everybody wants peace. But in the heart of man, yeah. Now I know that God works on lar in large systems, but I also think that, that he also works in Aristotle's theorem here, that the sum is equal, uh, the whole is equal to the sum of its parts. I can prove it. In Luke 19, 28 through 44, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. The streets are full of people saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us. And they really thought that Jesus was about to, to bring wonderful peace to the whole by overthrowing the Roman government. But that's not what happened. That's not what Jesus had intended. In Luke 19, 41, it reads this, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it and he said, if you, even you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? He's saying, I didn't come to overthrow the government. I came to overthrow hearts. Jesus has not come to bring peace to the world or bring peace to a giant system so that it would trickle down to the individual. And isn't that what we want? We want peace in the church so it will trickle down to me as an individual. We want peace in our nation so it will trickle down to an individual. We want peace in the world so it will trickle down. That's not the way God's designed it. You see, peacemaking is a grassroots venture. When I say peacemaking is a grassroots venture, I mean absolutely grassroots. 
James 4 says it like this in talking about the absence of peace. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Let me read that again. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that, that the reason why there's not peace in the world is that there's not peace in the heart of man. It, it's on the inside. So as we try to get what we want or what we perceive we need, peace absolutely becomes the tragedy. And the truth of the matter is that the world has absolutely no idea how to get peace. They don't. Now, you can look on Amazon, and I will tell you there's at least 150 books uh, on, on how to get peace. Uh, you can come over here to the college, and I'm sure that there are classes on it. I, I'm sure that if you talk to anybody, you know, walking around, they will share with you, you know, their thought of how, how to have peace. But the truth of the matter is, is that uh, you really need to find somebody that has peace to ask, don't you? It reminds me of a kind of a story. A wise man said to a man, the way to achieve inner peace is to finish all the things that you started. So he looked around the house to see all the things that he had started and hadn't finished. And before leaving the house that morning, he had finished off a bottle of red wine, a bottle of white wine, the Prozac, some Valium, some cheesecakes, and a box of chocolates. I, I believe he, he achieved peace, but I believe he rested in peace. And, and, and isn't that the way it is? The truth of the matter is, is that we all chase things for peace. We chase entertainment. We chase relationships. We chase, you know, uh, jobs. We chase all kinds of things for peace. But, but, but the bottom line is, is that really it, it all just ends in death. The Bible says it like this. There's a way that appears right to a man, but the end leads to death. It's the great case of the philosophical work entitled Humpty Dumpty. All the king's horses and all the king's men can't put that back together. All the kingdoms of the world have tried, but there's no peace. But Jesus asks us to be peacemakers. Well, can't we just choose it? Let's do that. Let's just, let's come up with a bumper sticker and say, choose peace. And let's, let's pass that out and everybody puts it on a bumper and the world will be at peace, right? Wouldn't that be nice if we could just will peace to happen? I wish it were that simple. Aristotle was not only a great philosopher, uh, he was also the father of what we call natural science. For those of you who know, I used to be a science teacher, and, and Aristotle was, was the proponent of a philosophy called natural science. And what natural science says is that, that all of creation is a closed system. And basically what we call nature is just the interaction of all the things in that closed system and, and how they interact and, and act with one another. The only problem with a closed system is this. There are finite resources in a closed system. In other words, there's only so much to go around. Not only that, in a closed system, there's competition. You know... So, so if we're living in a closed system and there's only so many resources to go around, then guess what? The only way for me to get what I need is to take it from you. Oh, the only way to get what you need is to take it from me. And all of a sudden we have competition, don't we? I think Darwin said it like this. He called it the survival 
of the fittest. And on the inside of everybody sitting here, there is this instinct to survive. There's this instinct to, to look after number one, to take care of ourselves so that we can survive. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Some people call this even a dog-eat-dog world. And Jesus encourages us to be peacemakers. Paul understood that, that that survival instinct. He did. He said it like this in Romans 7. He said, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in, within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? The truth of the matter is, is if we're living in a closed system, if we're living in a system with finite resources, if we're living in a system that depends on competition, the truth of the matter is, is that we don't have any choice but to hurt each other to get what we need. When we live according to the world system, with this survival instinct, looking after ourselves, the Bible says there's something that happens. There's some consequences. It's found in Galatians 5.9. And it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. These are, these are all symptoms of us trying to get our needs met in a closed system. Romans 8, 6 says it like this, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. My point is, is this this morning, is we cannot be peacemakers without first being peace havers. Do you hear me? We cannot be peacemakers unless we are first peace havers. So there has to be some way in this quote, quote, closed system that we can get our needs met in a way that we're not destroying ourselves. But I'm going to tell you, there can't be world peace until there's peace in the church. And there can't be peace in the church until there's peace in you and me. And we can't share what the peace that, that we're supposed to be sharing if we don't have it. The whole is equal to the sum of its parts. Jesus entered on a donkey, not to overthrow the government, but to bring peace to the heart of individuals. So this morning, I want to ask you something. You're a part of this church. Not only are you a part of this church, you're a part of the world. Are you bringing peace to it? Or are you like me at times bringing your own special brand of chaos? So what do we do? How do we become peacemakers? I love what Jesus said right here in, in John 1633 it says I've told you these things so that you may have peace in this world you're going to have trouble in this dog eat dog world where people are trying to get what they need they're going to hurt you there's going to be bad things that happen but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world what Jesus is saying is that he's circumvented the world system the dog eat dog world need not apply there's a way to survive and thrive without destroying ourselves Ephesians 2.14 says it really plainly. It says this, it says, for he himself is our peace. So that's all nice and wonderful and churchy. 
but how does that play out? And I think that in church many times, and the fault lies with the pastors, uh, in church many times we're wonderful about giving you the headlines, but we don't give you the play-by-play, or we don't give you the details, and we don't talk about how that really actually applies to life. So how do we have the peace, and how do we share the peace? Colossians 1.21, and although you were at one time estranged and alienated and hostile-minded toward him, I want to stop right there. Do you feel like you were ever that way? Well, the truth of the matter is, is when we live in what we want to consider a closed system and we say, hey, listen, I can take care of myself and I don't need me. I don't need God to take care of me. Then in a way, isn't that hostile toward God? And this is talking to Christians. He said, and although you were at one time estranged and alienated and hostile minded toward God and participating in evil things, yet Christ has now reconciled you to God. In his physical body through death, in order to present you before the Father, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And he will do this if you continue in the faith, well-grounded and steadfast, and not shifting away from the confident hope that is the result of the gospel that you've heard. Jesus paid the price for you to have a relationship with God. Yay! Those are nice, wonderful, churchy words. But if you don't know the depth of it, if you don't know what, what comes from that, then that's exactly what they are. And that's what the world hears when they, we talk about, oh, you need Jesus. Oh, yeah, well, that's nice. Nice. But the truth of the matter is, is that, that that opens the door. When Jesus died on the cross to give us a relationship with God, then, then look what God does. God, through Jesus' death, gives us hope. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know what circumstances you're in right now, and I guarantee you that, that with a crowd this size, there's several of you who are in circumstances and situations that you can't find any peace, that you can't find any hope, that really your joy is absolutely gone, and you're going, I don't know how in the world all this works. If you're sitting right here, and, and your situation is dire, and your circumstance, it seems hopeless. I want you to consider this. Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead. That's the most terminal circumstance and situation you can have. And God loved him so much that he redeemed even death. Now, this is the God that, that, that has just provided a way for you to have a relationship with him, for, for you to, have, to walk with him, for you to, to, to communicate with him on a daily basis. The God that raised Jesus from the dead can raise you in the midst of your circumstance. There's no circumstance here that is terminal. There's no circumstance here that can't be redeemed. There's no circumstance here that he can't make better. And as we begin to see that, we begin to see God's heart toward us. And when we begin to see his heart toward us, we begin to see that we can trust him. And you know these laws and these rules that everybody gets caught up in the church, the do's and the don'ts. When you really get to the place where you trust God, those aren't rules and regulations. Those aren't, aren't do's and don'ts. Those aren't laws that you got to follow. Those are the advice of a trusted friend, somebody that you know that you can count on. It's like a stockbroker telling you, hey, listen, if you'll invest in this, you'll make a fortune. And you know that stockbroker to be true. What do you do? You obey him. <laughs> you do, quickly. Psalms 121 reads like this. I lift my eyes to the mountains. 
Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber or sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade and your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from harm, and he'll watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Peace. Peace. Meditate on that. When you begin to meditate on the fact that God loves you, when you begin to meditate on the fact that, that God can redeem even the most terminal of circumstances, when you begin to, to meditate on the fact that he's provided a way for you to talk to him on a daily basis and he wants to walk with you daily, when you begin to meditate on that, then I will tell you peace comes. Isaiah says it like this, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts you. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a cost of this peace. And, and, and I really hate to even mention it because it's really not a cost at all. Because as we begin to see God's faithfulness and we encounter his goodness, then we die. We die. I heard somebody say one time in a, in a Bible study, you know, I've been in church all my life and I haven't even ever heard anybody say that we need to be crucified with Christ. And maybe the reason why is because being crucified with Christ is, is, is not that bad in that, listen to me, when you know that there's a better way, is it really such a big deal to give up an inferior way? Is it? You know, I walk everywhere I go. I do. But when I got old enough to drive, I died to walking everywhere <laughs> because there was a better way. It was called a truck. And I get in that truck and I drive it. And now I've died to walking. But I've lived again and to, to driving that truck. And, and, and that, that's the deal is, is we have to die. An old monk was asked on one occasion, he said, what does it mean to be crucified with Christ? And he answered like this. He said, a man who is crucified is facing only one way. And a man on the cross is someone, someone else makes all their plans for them. That's what it means to die. But when you're convinced of the goodness of God, when you're convinced of his faithfulness, when you're convinced of his goodness, surrendering to him is wonderful. Jesus said it this way. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Aren't you tired of looking for peace and entertainment? Aren't you tired of looking for, for peace in, in all the wrong places? Aren't you tired of looking for peace in your job and, and, and those things? I kind of I think that God is looking down and going, okay, I'll let you go ahead and do that. How's it working out for you? <laughs> now, when you get tired... When you get tired and you find out that, that all that chasing those rabbits is not getting you anything, then come to me and I'll give you rest. Trusting the Lord is his own reward. I want you to picture any given time in your life that's been tragic or hard or scary or that's been identified by a lack of peace. 
Now I want you to imagine the same moment, except this time, someone is there that's totally in control of the whole situation. Someone who loves you and cares for you is right there with you. Someone who has the power to change any circumstances, even to, to go back in time and redeem things. This person loves you and he satisfied you more than you can fathom just to be with you. Now, when you begin to look at a situation like that, do you sense the peace? So then how can we follow Jesus in the peacemaking? Now, when I'm talking about peacemaking, I'm not talking about looking past problems. I'm not talking about a live and let live mentality. I'm not talking about unity with one another or just for the sake of unity's sake. That's not what I'm talking about at all because, because we can unify around any cause. We can unify around a whole lot of things. We can overlook each other's problems and we can say live and let live and, and, and we can reconcile people to other people and, and all that is wonderful. But you know what? It doesn't bring peace. There's only one thing that brings peace, and that's restoring people back to God because he's our source. He is the one that can take care of it. He is the one that walks with us. He is the one that can undo death. And it gets good to us. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though we were pleading, as God was pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. The thing is, is when you start thinking about what God's done and when it starts to bring peace in your life, then you will become an ambassador. You will. I mean, it's not something you've got to try to do. You don't need to sign up for any church program to become an ambassador for Christ. All you've got to do is taste of the peace and walk with him and enjoy his presence. And I guarantee you, you will become an ambassador for God. Down in a little town called Hope You Like It, anybody know where it's at? There's a barbecue place. At least I'm told. Well, I know that to be true. There's a barbecue place. Now, the other day, uh, my wife and I were talking about where to eat, and, and we've heard, uh, you know, all these kind of things about different restaurants, and, and, and we, we go out to eat in the evenings a good bit because we're, we're really busy. And one night, we had just eaten at all the restaurants in town, and, and I, I looked at my wife, and I said, you know where I want to eat? She said, where's that? I said, hope you like it. She said, what do you know about hope you like it? Now, let me tell you something. Everybody I have bumped into says they have some incredible barbecue. They say that it is wonderful, that it is, that, that, that it is worth the drive out there to get some. Now, we drove out there, and, and they were closed. <laughs> so I don't know whether or not the barbecue was good or not, but this is the one thing I do know, is there were people that had tasted the barbecue and knew it was good. And as a result, guess what? They were ambassadors for I Hope You Like It Barbecue. It is what we do. If something is good to you, you're going to be an ambassador for it. If, if, if you think Georgia Southern is good, you're going to talk about Georgia Southern. If you think about Pittman Park is good, you're going to talk about Pittman Park. If you think, I uh, hope you like it, barbecue is good, you're going to talk about, I hope you like it, barbecue. If you've encountered the grace and peace of God in the midst of a hard circumstance, I'm going to tell you, you're going to become an ambassador for Christ. Romans 10, 15 says, it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And the reason for that is, is and I'm just going to say this right now, there's some of you in here that have no peace in your life. You've worked hard. You've struggled. You have racked your brain. You've stayed up at night. You've done things that you thought would bring temporary peace, but they just brought you condemnation the next morning. And you're sitting here today, and, 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 and you don't know that peace. 
when those of us who have tasted that peace walk around and we share it in a way that they can understand, let me tell you something. Not only does God think you have beautiful feet, those people will think you have beautiful feet too. A thirsty man loves a drink of water. A chaotic soul loves a soul that knows peace. Oh, and it goes on to say, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Have you ever been in a group of people and their children running around? You can call those children down and say, stop, and those children most likely will ignore you. But if there's an adult in the crowd that says, hey, come over here, and that child obeys, guess what? That's that child's parent. Because parents, because children know that they can trust, there's a relationship there. They know they trust their parents, and they, they know that their parents are out for their good, and when they say come, they come. So, so, so this deal about uh, having peace, or being a, a, a peacemaker, being called children of God, when we start to, to obey God, and that peace comes into our life, because of, of us following what He says, I'm going to tell you, People will know, oh, that's, that's Jesus' boy right there. Not only that, uh, I, I live here in Statesboro, and, uh, and it's funny because I drive an old model t- uh, Tacoma, an old white Tacoma, and I love it. I wouldn't drive anything else. It's, it's, it's wonderful because I don't have to worry about dents and dings. It's, it's my, my truck. But I'll pull up to the grocery store, and I, I'll pull up, and a lot of times I'll park next to, to something like a Mercedes sports car or some exotic sports car, and, 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 and I get out, and, and as I'm getting out, there'll be a little 20-year-old bebopping out of the store, and they'll hop in the driver's seat of that Mercedes or that exotic sports car, and I just chuckle. You know why? Because I know something. You know what I know? They got parents. Okay, <laughs> they got parents. That 20-year-old didn't buy that, that uh, sports car. Now, let me tell you something. When the people of God began to walk around or ride around in the peace that God has provided for them, I'm going to tell you the people in the world are going to look around and say, oh, my goodness, those people have parents. And just their very presence will make you a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. I want to end with this. General MacArthur said, a truth says you just don't want to shoot at each other for a while. Peace comes when truth is known. The issue is settled and the parties can embrace each other. Peacemakers don't just try to stop conflict. They do something far more meaningful, something healing and restoring. They try to bring about reconciliation and relationship to the source, even if it means going through the conflict. The cross is the greatest act of violence and conflict that has ever been possible. In fact, much of Jesus' ministry is involved in conflict and confrontation. But Jesus' great confrontation was with his humanity in the garden, where self-preservation was very, very real and present. But peace came in the surrender and trust, and our victory came through the cross. So my question to you this morning, are you still trying to survive? Or have you heard Jesus say, I'm your peace? Have you stepped out and let him prove himself to you?
And has it gotten good enough for you to share? Blessed are the peacemakers. Let's pray. Father God, you are our hope and our salvation. Father God, you are our peace in troubled times. Father God, we have bowed down at other altars looking for peace, looking for hope, looking for joy. But Father God, you alone are our help. Father God, we are parts of the whole. And if we are to have peace in the earth, Father God, it has to first start with you and I. Father God, be our peace. Help us to wrestle past this self-preservation of the flesh and to trust in you to take care of us. In Jesus' name, amen.